0: Good morning and good morning to you too. This is Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall and I am pleased to be with you this morning in New York City on WBAI 99.5 FM, WBAI.org and on the podcast where you can hear me around the world. I want us to talk today about two very important topics one of them our health and the other our intellectual health yes we have our physical health and we have our intellectual health with us will be Dr. Candace Johnson our own Dr. Candace to give us a follow-up on what's been going on where are we with COVID and pneumonia and the flu and everything else that's trying to kill us off no matter what we do we're going to stay alive to make life worth living. And we're also going to be talking with Dr. Brenda Green from Medgar Evers, who's going to be discussing the upcoming Black Writers Conference as well as the attack on black studies and what people are talking about as far as anti-woke. They need to be awake. But first, let us um, pay homage, if we can, to our brother, Randall Robinson and uh, i had the opportunity short-lived but uh, just to be in his atmosphere he was an amazing man born july 6 1941 and passed away to join the ancestors march 24th of this year He was a lawyer and an author and an activist, the founder of TransAfrica. And he worked uh, against apartheid. And some of you may remember back when the protests I do, the protests around um, ending apartheid in South Africa. I was very young at the time, but I do remember them. He was also an advocate for Haitian rights and um, grew so frustrated with living in this country filled with such hypocrisy that he chose to immigrate to St. Kitts. He was a graduate of Harvard Law School and Virginia Union University. And I think that what really um, moved me most about him was, as Malcolm X used to say, keep it plain. He was an intellectual giant who knew how to keep it plain. He knew how to be a bridge between the intellectual thoughts and complexities of the world to the regular person trying to understand what was going on. It's something that that I really try very hard to emulate and fall short so many times, but I have him as this beacon, this example of what we can do with our education that we can use it to take complex themes and thoughts and the oppressive um, legal issues that are all around us and make it clear enough for us to have footing to fight, to not feel so vulnerable like we're tumbleweeds being tossed and blown. He did this, a political activist, an organizer. I mean, what I really believed as well is in the fact that his early discussions of, of reparations in 2001 he wrote the book the debt what america owes to blacks this is in 2001 that is when the book came out he had been talking about reparations years before that um, what i also uh, admire so much about him was he left this country He wrote a book about it. He chronicled his journey in the book titled Quitting America, The Departure of a Black Man from His Native Land. I was in touch with Randall Robinson when I wanted him to come and speak at the Association for the Study of African American Life and History in 2019 upon his return. And I had a feeling then that perhaps he was returning because he was in ill health. But I wasn't sure. He lives behind him, his wife and daughter, son. He was married to Hazel Ross Robinson, and we give our heartfelt condolences. And I just want to say thank you, Brother Robinson. Thank you. Ashe, Ashe, and Ashe. As we move forward with the ways in which we can be advocates, we can be enlightened, we can use the gifts that we've been given. You may think they're small gifts, but they're necessary. You wouldn't have it if you couldn't use it, if it wasn't important. And to discover this is a lifelong journey of trying to figure out what it is we have to offer. Education is all around us. That phone we have in our hand is filled with the libraries of the world. Millions of books, thoughts, people, history is in that phone. Use it. But we also need to know that K through 12 education is dependent upon for the most people in this country, for the most part, upon educators. And what's happening now is an attack on learning our history. So, of course, the focus has been on Florida, as well it should be. And what's happening there under Governor DeSantis is a sin and a disgrace. As we have, and I've seen myself when I was speaking in Florida last month for Black History Month, that DeSantis is proposing legislation that will refocus Florida's public colleges and universities in a way that is reprehensible to intellectual thought, that undermines the history of this country and all the people of sacrificed, like Randall Robinson to try to make this country a better place. He would under... DeSantis and his minions in the federal government prohibit public institutions from supporting campus activities or programs that promote diversity and critical race theory. That when I was there, I was not allowed to use the phrase critical race theory or the word diversity or racism. They want to pretend like these things didn't happen. They also want to take away any type of autonomy for the schools, take away tenure, so that people, whomever they may be with whatever type of educational background, will have the power to determine whether or not what a professor is teaching is of the caliber to be taught. Anyone, a political appointee of this government, to do this. What we find again and again is this ability of politics and especially conservative politics to undermine the progress of people of color, and in particular, African-Americans. And people might think, well, well, why do you focus so much on African-Americans? Because we are the canary in the coal mine. We're the ones you should see. If it happens to us today, it will be happening to you tomorrow. Stop turning your back on what happens to African-Americans in this country. Whether or not you are from the Caribbean, from Africa, from Asia, from Europe, wherever you're from, From South America, North America, look at African-American history and you will follow the line to what will happen to you. We'll see, based on this history, when we think about what's happened with Native Americans in this country and the ability to make Native Americans fighting for their land the enemy, based on how history is written, And now that we have enough history books that are available to us through all of these sources on your phone, what they're saying is we are going to make it unavailable to K-12. to and then we're going to make it unavailable to university and college students because once they hear the real history of this country, they'll begin to question why are we part of the problem by continuing to allow this crushing use of law and power and propaganda to undermine the rights of others. There are those. And remember, when you Open your eyes. Remember when you, as we could say now, got woke and you realized that this country had in it this dual message of on the outside life, liberty and justice for all, but on the inside. Oppression by any means necessary to maintain white supremacy and white superiority because it's assumed that just by the pigment of someone's skin that they should know better, that they should be in higher positions, that they should have more, that they should always have the title, that there would be a pyramid and at the top of that pyramid would be someone who looks of European descent. And then as we go down the pyramid, the lighter, the better. That is what this country has been doing. And not saying that we don't give to the needy around the world. We do. We do. But can we do these things at the same time? Yes. Can we be both Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Yes. 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 And so as we look around and see the attacks on books, on book bans, on book burnings, in the 21st century in this country we begin to understand that pan america and so many other organizations are gearing up to try to stop this this sense of the inevitable because it's not inevitable i would not be free to talk with you today women would not be free to vote today immigrants would not be free to be citizens today if anything was inevitable we all have the power to make change, but they want you to believe you're powerless. And as when you believe that, when they have your mind, they have your body, they need do nothing else. HB 7, House Bill 7 in Florida is called the Stop Woke Bill, officially called the Individual Freedom Act. It's an educational gag order, and it's meant to prevent teachers from discussing advantages or disadvantages based on race. They're not allowed to use the phrase critical race theory. College presidents are being threatened or dismissed. And this bill would affect the state's students, educators, and administrators. And right now, there are 35 states that have these bills either passed as law or in the process in counties and school districts around the country. Look to see what's happening. Watch Be aware, understand that as we go into this authoritarianism, we've got to fight back against it. Our educational system is essential to that. Yes, for full disclosure, yes, I am a professor. Yes, I am a writer. Yes, I consider myself a a public intellectual, someone who wants to engage in the public to help people understand. That's why I've been doing this show for over 10 years, to to do something other than just stay in some ivory tower and talk among one small group. I want you to be empowered and be inspired. I want you to, to better understand the forces aligned against our progress, our unity, because they know together, There's nothing that can't stop us from making our communities better. And as long as they see us as a threat when we come together, divide and conquer has been something that has been effective for thousands of years. And the only secure force against it that's been used time and time again effectively is unity. Unity. I want to you to hear this one message from Benjamin Crump, the civil rights attorney. And after that, we'll turn to our physical health, and then we'll go back to our intellectual health. But the power is in our hands. Let's hear from Benjamin Crump as he was receiving the NAACP Image Award.
1: As my sister Tesla Figaro always says, we have to push the line for our people every chance we get no matter what we do in life we all have a role to play and so i will continue to fight in the court of law and the court of public opinion and now that they are trying to ban our most celebrated black authors and ap african-american studies we must advocate for our children and our culture in the classrooms and demand Demand that they acknowledge that the teaching of black history matters. Harriet Tubman matters, Frederick Douglass matters, and to Matters, Dr. King matters, Rosa Parks matters, Michael X matters, Charlie Chisholm, John Lewis, they were not mere footnotes in the history books, they were the heroes.
0: They were the heroes. And you too, we all are heroes in the cause. We're here with Dr. Candace Johnson, assistant professor at Michigan State University in the School of Nursing, here to give us an idea not that we feel alone, but I feel very confused, uh, Dr. Candace, about this idea that COVID is gone, and yet I feel that it's still among us, that I know people, I have a friend who just got COVID last week, and um, I'm wrestling with the effects of the flu, so what is going on with our physical health? Are we still
2: under attack, and good morning.
3: Good morning,
2: and sorry to hear that you've been feeling under the weather here. There are a lot of respiratory illnesses going around right now, including COVID-19. COVID-19 is still present and with us. And despite the fact that uh, recently mandates have begun to drop and that there have been uh, less reporting agencies giving a day-to-day update uh, as to the COVID cases and mortality or death rates, we um, are still going through this um, this illness. It's called endemic is what it is now. It's endemic. It is still considered a pandemic technically because it is still present on all of the continents. However, we are not looking at it. And by we, I mean uh, people in public health are, are no longer – Um, looking at it with the urgency that we had in the past three years. As a matter of fact, there has been uh, a lot less uh, consistent reporting. And it's alleged that uh, it's been since March 5th since we had the last death from COVID-19. But are there hospitalizations happening? Yes. Is there severe illness happening in individuals? Absolutely. So we should not be letting our guards down in addition to COVID-19, Pneumonia, and um, which is an illness that relates to viruses, and you know having had a bacterial or fungal infection in the lungs, you know that those numbers are with are still with us, as well as influenza, uh, which uh, you know a lot of people are dealing with right now. Are the influenza rates up? They could be. Uh, the latest numbers aren't you know, completely in, uh, but it looks like influenza is definitely still holding strong. So we do have, still have quite a bit to contend with, but the uh, over 800,000 deaths that happened in the United States uh, that were confirmed or presumed to be related to COVID-19 definitely uh, tell the story that, you know, we were impacted and this is still uh, an issue. As far, as far as I'm concerned, as a as a person in public health, uh, we still should not be letting our guards down as it relates to COVID-19. So let's go back to March
0: 5th. You're saying that March 5th was the last death from COVID-19 on
2: record. Right. And now this was as of some data that probably would have come in before March 23rd um, because I was tracking along with the uh, New York Times tracker that came out the week that COVID-19 started in March of 2020, uh, that tracker was shut down on March the 23rd of this year. So uh, as of that day, the last deaths that have been reported uh, in the United States had happened on March 5th, approximately two and a half weeks earlier. So uh, are people still dying? I'm, I'm sure since that day, March 23rd, there, had, you know, there must have been, in terms of the trends, a death from COVID-19. But the fact that there are vaccines that are helping to protect people from being uh, hospitalized, you know, speaks to the fact that, you know, you don't have to die from COVID, especially if you get in to see a provider and be sure that, you know, what you're working with versus, you know, COVID versus flu versus another respiratory illness, and then trying to get early treatment if possible. Uh, We have Paxlovid, which if you take in the early days, will reduce the core outcomes that come from that. So I think that providers are, you know, addressing the COVID related illness faster with more options. And it's quite possible that that's what's contributing to the reduction in death rates. Um, Well,
0: I'm trying to say this in a very nice way. I don't believe it. Um, I know that people I'm sorry, I just don't. Um, I just because when I know too many people during the time period of COVID, who died mm-hmm. um, to uh, based on COVID-related uh, related illnesses whose deaths were not uh, attributed to COVID-19, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. number I believe is much much higher. I think they're also and it's this is just from a, a standpoint of and and as you know I'm I'm someone who took the vaccine, and this is from mm-hmm. the standpoint of someone who knows people who did not take the vaccine and developed COVID. Um, mm-hmm. I I I'm my concern is that um as the trackers stop, as this is a capitalist country and we want to go on with business and, you know, how do we trust our government to tell us, you know, that the last COVID death has taken place? I mean, who is who if we don't have a tracker, then right. who is supposed to be tracking any of this to know? Since I know someone who just had COVID and, they, you know, they just um, tested negative two days ago. No one's tracking any of that or were they supposed to die and then if they died and then they would go to the hospital and somebody would know because most people who have COVID are staying home. They're not going into hospitals. They're feeling that they can, you know, um, help themselves at home by taking vitamin D, vitamin C and zinc and other things and fluids. And, you know, how are we to trust the system to tell us that COVID is over? Or at least you. deaths by COVID, I should say deaths by COVID, not COVID itself, but deaths from COVID,
2: um, have finally ended. You you're bringing up a very um, controversial point in the public health community, and the the topic is around how many deaths can we truly attribute to COVID, directly and indirectly, and there's this term called excess deaths, where we're really kind of trying to explore the impact that COVID had on the deaths that were not attributed to COVID or excess deaths. And the reality is that COVID may have caused people who were healthy to be more sick. And uh, there's research, and I still have to unpack that research a little bit better, but of course it already made those who were vulnerable, like the, people who had high BMI's in the obese or greater category, smokers, people with preexisting conditions like asthma, diabetes, or heart disease. All of those individuals who were more vulnerable certainly were made, uh, you know, uh, at higher risk as a result of being exposed to COVID or having a family member who had COVID. But the fact is that there are actually additional deaths that can be Uh, contributed indirectly to COVID that we're not even tracking, that we're not even um, properly um, attributing to the the COVID-19 illness or its outcomes like pneumonia or long COVID or some of the other um, associations connected with COVID that aren't exactly, you know, SARS-CoV-2, you know, uh, illness. So, you know, it's it's you're you're asking some very important questions, which will then lead to people having less trust. Because if we can't, if you know some, if it doesn't add up, or if what you see in your community does not connect with what you hear the official, you know, news people and the um, you know public health officials saying, then you know it's going to affect your trust. It's going to have an impact on how you proceed with healthcare. Uh, seeking, Uh, like what you mentioned before, people staying home and not going to facilities, mostly because they've uh, grown accustomed to being turned away. You know, in 2022, there were people who, you know, were coming in with COVID disease or COVID illness, uh, or even just being COVID positive, who were told, you know, go, go ahead and go home, you know, and, you know, stay home for five days and treat yourself, as you were mentioning before. So, Um, You know, despite there being these, uh, um, you know, vaccines and treatments like Paxilid out there uh, for people to take, there is still very much a presence in our communities. And when a person comes up COVID positive, um, you know, which so many people have, we're talking about uh, 2.3 billion confirmed cases globally and 150 million confirmed cases in the United States. Now we know that there were, you could probably double that. um, If, if, you know, if you were to really um, not be so conservative and consider those people who didn't even go in to have their COVID-19 confirmed. So um, yeah, these, these statistics and data are very, um, they were already relatively unstable because everything was coming out in real time. And we were, you know, basically evaluating preprints and just-in-time statistics. But, you know, it still will probably be a while yet before we have the official numbers. And as you mentioned, you know, trust in the meantime is going to be hard to come by. Well, let's speak in our
0: last few moments here of long-haul covid what is it? Um, what are some of the symptoms of it, and and what's being done at this point? And what people can what can they look forward to, actually affecting the the, the treatment for it? Because it doesn't seem like there's an effective treatment. It just now it's being actually recognized as um, um, a
2: physical ailment. Oh my goodness! The disability caused by this is one of those indirect uh, impacts that I was mentioning earlier. The physical um, disabilities caused by long-haul COVID are, are now causing us to cause it a mass disability event because there's so many individuals who are losing their ability to, you know, function normally now as a result of having had COVID. And I must say it's not necessarily that you had COVID and you nearly, you know, died or that you had a bad disease progress or that you even had symptoms. I mean, some of these people experiencing long COVID and I'll explain the uh, symptoms in a second are actually were actually asymptomatic. Um, In fact, you know, some were even vaccinated. So what we see in terms of the symptoms may include um, breathlessness, weakness, numbness, even anxiety, depression and insomnia a racing heart when standing. Um, some of the other conditions that people talk about are brain fog. So they're starting to believe that many of these long-haul um, symptoms are connected to neurological disease. And COVID, long COVID itself is a post-viral illness. So it isn't necessarily the COVID Um, disease. And we're thinking the science is not clear on it yet, but we're thinking that there's some little pockets of COVID-19 particles still hanging around in the body. That's why one of science's uh, most recent uh, offerings for this treatment is Paxlovid, the treatment for COVID-19. The thought is that it will go in and kind of clean up some of those remaining bits of COVID-19 that are in the body. But the heart and lung symptoms, the sporadic inflammation, I mean, there are over 200 reported symptoms connected to long-haulers' disease around the world. So it is true, and a lot of them are neurological. So there is some work, but very little being put towards developing clinics. And for those clinics that exist to address this post-viral illness, there are months to, um, you know, weeks to months in the waiting list. I mean, some don't even have uh, opportunities for opening until the end of the year. So there are many people, um, and again, they're including people who were asymptomatic, had mild disease or severe disease, uh, who are experiencing these symptoms. So if you are going through these symptoms, uh, I, I would like to validate that. You know this is real and if you are realizing that you're having any of the symptoms that i mentioned like energy crash after expending some mental or physical energy um, severe brain fog severe fatigue even continued loss of smell and taste uh, more pain or hypersensitivity to sound these are all rooted in the neurological system in a recent article in uh, Scientific American really goes into this idea that this is something we need to follow as a neurological problem that, uh, you know, in other words, it won't be easy to treat and will likely, you know, be with those individuals um, for for a while before they realize freedom and because, or or freedom from these symptoms. And because this is considered a a disability or disabling um, post-viral illness, you know, it's, it's really complicated for people who are experiencing work issues, you know, problems with having to um, have time off of work because they aren't able to function with that brain fog. So, you know, I really encourage people who might be experiencing those symptoms to reach out. There are support groups. There are online Facebook support groups, um, you know, to help people with coping and at least validating their symptoms.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Candace Johnson, our own um, Dr. Candace, for New York City's um, um, insight, um, questions, concerns. You've been there for us throughout this um, multi-year tumult, and we appreciate you and look forward to having you back to explain what is going on with our physical health, and and thank you so much, and and congratulations on the, the new position
2: oh thank you so much and thank you for continuing to invite me over the years it's been my pleasure to uh, report on this public health news thank you
0: thank you this is law of the land with gloria j brown marshall from our physical health to our intellectual health our health as far as um, learning and experiencing new worlds that's what books do for me it helps me to see the world, but it also helps me to experience new worlds. Um, people I would never know I've met through books as a as a kid. I would explore all around from my bedroom um from the lying on the living room floor, just reading a book and taking my mind to so many different places and Now, in my life uh, as a writer and and writing books, that hopefully that will inspire and, and and inflame that that sense of adventure inside or have- help people to better understand the, the lives lived hundreds of years ago and how we can learn from those lives books do that and yet at the same time we have over 565 books banned in Florida schools alone 565 books banned in Florida schools but we believe and we believe and we believe that truth will reign because we are going to force it we're going to force truth we're going to force things into the light and with us uh, will be Dr. Brenda Green who will talk about the Black Writers Conference at Megar evers College and the importance of books we'll be right back believe, believe,
3: believe If you believe Within your heart, you'll know that no one can change the past.
0: That is a song that has gotten me through so much in my life and I hope that it inspired you to believe in yourself and sometimes you can read a book and that book will help you to see the world differently, help you to see the lives of other people. And then maybe through those characters, those issues, that, that subject, that book, you will have a stronger belief in yourself and in your dream. And who other than... Doctor Brenda Green can tell us the magic of literature and books. Good morning, Brenda Green.
4: Good morning, Professor Marshall. Gloria. So nice to have to be on your show. Nice to connect again. And yes. Thank you for that music, very inspirational.
0: Thank you. Don't you that was just the song for me um in law school and in hard times and times I need to be inspired and even today it was just still so inspiring. But books can do that, songs, literature, words can do that. Tell us, Brenda, you um someone who is um So pivotal to black literature, um, especially if Meg Evers as an English professor there and and a writer yourself, tell us about the upcoming conference and tell us about your love of books.
4: Well, thank you again and um i i I don't think I could survive without books i I have my sisters laughing because at one point when I was younger and wanted to run away from home, I packed a suitcase full of books. <laughs> <laughs> was more important but um i'm really really pleased we just had a wonderful celebration uh celebrating the the founding my founding of the center for black literature 20 years ago at a jubilee celebration and uh, the the mission of the center for black literature is to support black writers and the text they produce throughout the african diaspora and we do that through conferences symposia uh, writers' workshops, readings, uh, we have the Killens Review of Arts and Letters, and I also host the radio show where I interview writers talking about their work and their craft and their lives. We do a major National Black Writers Conference in the even years, over four days, and in the odd years, we do a National Black Writers Symposium focused on a particular writer or on. A theme and this year at the end of March coming up this weekend from um, March 31st through April 1st we are very very pleased to, to host Diasporic Visions celebrating black speculative fiction. Um, this is our biennial symposium and we're very very excited. We are honoring Sheree Renee Thomas a well-known black speculative fiction writer who did her seminal, the seminal book *Dark Matters*, where she illustrated how we have been writing black speculative fiction for years? And Jule Parker Rhodes, who's been writing black speculative fiction, because if you look at her novels, they are filled with magic and and ghosts and and they speak to ancient uh, rituals and traditions. So we're honoring them with the Octavia Butler Award. And Octavia Butler was a a black speculative fiction writer, in fact, but she didn't like to call herself speculative fiction, black science fiction writer, who did uh, the works we all so love. We actually did a symposium symposium on her, um, most well-known for Kindred, which was recently on a TV series uh, Hulu, Kindred, and... um, my favorite is Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents. So we're giving uh, our writers, our honorees, the, the Octavia Butler Award. We're going to have scholarly papers on Friday morning, which are looking at the work of Cherie Renee Thomas and Jill Parker Rhodes. They're also looking at the genre of speculative fiction. That's from 10 to 3 on Friday morning. That'll be virtual, so we people from all over the world can can tune into that. And then in person, we have the Dr. Edith Rock writing workshop for elders. Our elders are writing speculative fiction stories, and that will be in person at the college at the Edison O. Jackson Auditorium. And then on Saturday, we begin with our roundtable discussions featuring uh, speculative fiction writers and scholars. We're looking at the evolution of black speculative fiction from print to film. And um, we have confirmed speakers, Ronaldo Anderson, Jules Gomez, who's been doing this work for a long time, Rashida Phillips and Leslie Penelope. Then we are looking at the black speculative fiction's impact on popular culture. And you know, it has really exploded in film and um, comic books and we have it in music you have Afrofuturism and um, that um, is being sponsored by the Black Science Fiction Society which is a huge organization that has thousands of followers of black science fiction and that is being uh, moderated by Jarvis Sheffield who's the president of that and our writers include Tim Fielder, Jesse Holland, Christine Taylor Butler, and Yatasha Womack. And then we have our final um, roundtable is the presence of Africa and black speculative fiction. And that's what we really have seen really um, grow in the last, I would say the last couple of decades. And you, it's epitomized in the screening, the screenplay of Wakanda. Where you have the presence of Africa, and we have writers who've who centered Africa in their work, um that uh, Ternata Redu, Anita Kopaz, way or two more. And um, we have another writer, and then it's also being moderated by uh, Mo Beasley. And we have we end with a conversation between Jew Parker Rose and Cherie Renee Thomas talking about their work, their journey and the themes and trends. And we present them with the awards. So it's called a symposium, but it's really a gathering. where We have these roundtables and uh, roundtable discussions, the awards program, uh, the scholarly papers. And we will also have an opportunity for those who attend the conference in person to purchase books, to get books signed. We'll have a marketplace with vendors so there will be a really community gathering of people coming together, and that will be at Megar Evers College. And all of that is on our website. If you go to www.centerforblackliterature.org, they will, um, you can look and see um, the program, and you can register. Uh, it's very, very nominal, the registration. And once you're registered, you'll get a link to listen to the virtual program. Uh, the virtual scholarly papers on on uh, Friday morning, and then to uh, register for the conference. You can also register in person on Saturday, but we encourage people to try and register now so that when you come in, you can go right into the programming. So again, I, I encourage people to attend. It's going to be an exciting time. It also um, we're also on social media, Facebook at Center for Black Literature. Uh, Twitter at Center for Black Lit, Instagram at Center for Black Lit.
0: Oh, that was a lot. And we want to make sure that people um come out. You know, I know when we talk about speculative fiction or speculative writing, um, yeah, the good old fashioned was science fiction. And I I remember watching Star Trek as a kid and and when they finally started having Whoopi Goldberg and others like uh, people of color outside of Uhura, you know, in the future and then the the question is, what is our future? How do we carve out our future in the world, and what does it look like in in other planes and other people in other places from our perspective so I'm very excited about um, where speculative fiction can take us and where we can go in the not just the Marvel universe but our own individual universes that we can create as as writers um, and uh, at the same time that we're having this this um, symposium and having the ability to discuss um, these great authors, we're having a pushback. We're having book bans. Um, wh- where are you in this is this, this perspective on uh, what's going on with this push against literature and especially so many of the books that are being banned are by black authors.
4: Yes, it's, it's even ironic. One of our programs um, that we host, the Center through Reimagining Our Lives through Literature, two of the books that we're using with our youth are on the book banned list. It is. It is really. Um, it feels like we're going backwards, and I think we have to actively push against that. We're using with our youth The Hate You Give, um, and I am Alfonso. And, you know, you, when you have books like Toni Morrison, uh, Toni Morrison's books, and Jacqueline Woodson, um, you know, Alice Walker on the banned booklets, you know that things are really bad. So I think, you know, this, this, this really epitomized the, the critical need for institutions such as the Center for Black Literature, where we are providing uh, writers with spaces to talk about this. But we have to do more. We have to to do writing. We have to write, do op eds. We have to align with other organizations. Penn has a uh, has doing some major work around bringing together people to resist the banning of books and the censorship of books. Um, also, the libraries are doing a lot of work around that. So, united, we're going to have to send that message, and we have to make sure that we're purchasing those books that they are saying are banned. We have to raise the the public's awareness because what do you do when you ban books? That means that you are marginalizing the people whose stories are part of this this America, part of the American um, narrative, part of the master narrative. I mean, what our black writers have done is expand that narrative and offer counter narratives, offer different stories. So you are making them invisible when you say you cannot read those books. And the reasons for doing that are just so are just false. They're based on this false notion that we're saying, oh, this is critical race theory. People have such have misinterpreted what critical race theory is, which has to do with the presence of race. In, in what we do, what we are arguing for and advocating for when we have an african American studies curriculum, when we have degrees in studies, african American studies, Africana um, studies ethnic studies, we're advocating for curriculum that is culturally responsive, curriculum that is inclusive of all people and there's there's a fight against that and so well, in our in our universities. Wherever we can, we have to raise our voices. And I want to I go to the sensitive sensitivities
0: of supposedly these white children. It only takes one child to make one comment, you know, based on a question by one parent, if that one child is white and that one parent is white, and they go to the school district and they say, well, my child was made to feel uncomfortable and what really bothers me about this uh, on so many different levels, but on this one, is when we're dealing with people of color. So if they're learning about World War II, if they're learning about the attack on Pearl Harbor, which involved you know thousands of people's lives lost and you know a, attack a brutality of war all of that that's all right to learn about you can watch films on that you can read books on that but it's the idea that you're you're going to be on the the the, the side of those who did the attacking and so therefore the discomfort is i don't want to be associated or have my child associated with the group that attacked as opposed to the victim of the attack or the hero within the um, the whole dynamic of the attack it's the idea that um, to maintain this hero worship of white supremacy that one must always have these young people see people who could look like their father in a position of right and just and good. And if that's not the position, then the child is, is confused because they've been told that they're part of the group of just and right and good, and now you're actually allowing them to have critical thinking about the role that race plays in our country. And, it's, and, and I think my concern when it comes to young people, that K through 12 and now into college, that they're going to be unable to think for themselves as to what the role race plays in this country and has played in so long in this country no
4: you're absolutely right Um, that's why I'm I'm very pleased that you know the the City Council and a a group of educators have advocated for making sure that black studies is incorporated in the curriculum but um, people have to learn to live with discomfort as you're saying people have to be uncomfortable because the stories are uncomfortable It's, it's how how you teach them people have to be visible in all the work we do. And so that one person um, can say something, unfortunately, it's, you know, so so often, as you said, it's the parents, parents who have said, you know, I don't want my child reading that book. And, you know, one of the things that as educators, I think we have to do, we have to make sure that we're being very transparent with parents and with with, um, our children and I think that would help. I I know that when one of the books we used was by John Oliver Killens, The Cotillion, and it was there were a lot of things related to um, cultural nationalism and Black Power, and uh, a couple of the parents that they really didn't want their child reading that. And so I I wrote I wrote to a, a letter to the to all the parents as the director of the program and explained why it was important to hear those stories. You know, I think about you know um, one of the films that that just um, was was celebrated at um, one on the Oscars at the um, was the film on on World War One. What what am I thinking? All Quiet on it All Quiet on the Western Front. Mm -hmm. Yes, All Quiet on the Western Front, which is really kind of an an anti-war movie. But who's missing? Who are the faces? What's the presence missing in that in that film and that story. You know, you would think that it got many awards and it's good because it's an anti war movie. But where were blacks located? Are we yes are we and I that? know there were no blacks ever who, who were not participants in World War One? And we But know that's I also the know case.
0: that it's not the case because I know my grandfather, yes. God rest his soul, was one of the black soldiers Forced into the fields in France Where the mustard grass was I mean mustard gas um, In order to test to see if it was poisonous or not We're down to our last um, 30 seconds And I want to circle back One Panamerica P-E-N dot org If you go to the Panamerica website You can find out more about book bannings And and what's going on in Florida And around the country And um, find these books that are Listed as books that are Seen as pornographic, violent, or inappropriate, which, of course, what does inappropriate mean? That's its amorphous standard. But I'd like us, if we could, I'd like you to go to listeners out there, go to Maker Evers this weekend. I'm going to let Brenda give you one last quick push about what will take place this weekend, and please participate. What good is a book on the shelf that we are advocating that should be opened if you yourself won't open it? Brenda, tell and them I, what they should do this weekend. Thank you.
4: Black, black speculative fiction is the future. It is something that uh, that touches and engages people at all levels, all generations. And it examines the past. It chronicles the future, critiques the future. And are very often gives cautionary tales, and it's exciting and fun. So you have a chance to meet writers, to talk with them, to buy books, to to um, go to our marketplace. You can even get books online. You have part. You have an opportunity to be part of the conversation. So and how do I, How website. do they
0: sign up? Our yes, website the
4: website at www.centerforblackliterature.org. wwwcenterforblackliterature.org um you can also call seven one eight um 80, 804, 8883, 804 8883 But it's best to go to the website and register. And you will it will be a memorable and historic experience for you. People walk away and say they've never seen that that before. It's just really, really exciting. So well, thank you so much for and inviting me, um, Professor Marshall, and allowing me to to talk about this and to talk about the importance of making sure we don't let this trend of um, censoring our voices and banning books continue. Thank you. And with that, we are at the end of our show.
0: Looking forward to hearing back how you enjoy this wonderful weekend coming up of black writers and black literature. And your presence there will show as a part of the press to keep our books on the shelf that you are on the right side of this issue or should I say the left side this is Law the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall and thank you for all you do To make WBAI the station that is available, listener-supported for so many decades. If you have a chance, please become a BAI buddy. Call 212-209-2950, 212-209-2950, 212-209-2950. And for any amount you want to give per month, it could be $5. Just tell them you're doing it for law the land just tell them just let sure they know that that it's law of the land that motivated you to do it but please become a BAI buddy and support the station thank you so much for listening I look forward to all that you do to make this world a better place thank you Michael G and I'll see all of you on the radio.